Good morning. Welcome to the online Redeemer gathering. It's good to be with you this morning. I hope you guys are having a good Sunday. Uh, like Chris said, we lament and long to gather together, hopefully soon, in the Lord's providence and sovereignty. I have a couple of announcements that I'd love to uh, run by before we get started looking at our uh, passages today. Um, if you're new, if you're uh, tuning in for the first time, we really encourage you to fill out a Connect card. Uh, you can find that on www.redeemerbloomington.org. You, on this Connect card, you can sign up for Realm, get connected to a community group, fill out a prayer request so that we can pray for you. If you don't know what Realm is, Realm is, is simply an online community network for Redeemer. And it's the best way for you to really get uh, connected and figure out what's happening in the life of our church. So we really encourage you to fill that out if this is your first time tuning in. If you are, have been tuning in, you'd like to get involved with Redeemer and, and what's going on here even more so, uh, we would really encourage you to join a community group. Uh, and a community group is where we live out being a gospel-centered community on mission, seeing people transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and built up to mature disciples. Uh, so all community groups right now for the time being are meeting online via Zoom or Google Hangout. Uh, but you can contact me at Kyle at RedeemerBloomington.org, and I'll be able to uh, email you and converse with you on the best way uh, to join a community group. So again, my email is Kyle at RedeemerBloomington.org. Redeemer in 10, which is a 10-minute explanation of what we value and what Redeemer is and what what our function is as a church, is today at 1 p.m. It's this afternoon It's a brief Zoom call where you can learn about our vision and values as well as how to get connected even during a season like this. You can RSVP and access the link on Realm or if you don't are not on Realm but you would love to know more about Redeemer's vision and values, you can email info at redeemerbloomington.org for the link. That's info at redeemerbloomington.org for the link. Every Friday, uh, I'm going to be praying through a psalm at 9 a.m. through 9.30. And and the reason why we're doing this is just Scripture informs us how to pray and what to pray. And so every day, every Friday, excuse me, uh, from 9 to 9.30, I'm going to work through a psalm and we're going to pray. And this is an opportunity to pray together. It's also share prayer requests that you'd have. So we encourage you um, to find the link uh, via Zoom that would be on Realm. And if you want that link and you're not on Realm, you can again email info at redeemerbloomington.org. We're having a class this Thursday. It's called Emotions Redeemed. It's an online class via Zoom. Via Zoom. Uh, it's it's going to be a four-part series every Thursday, starting this Thursday, April 23rd at 8.15 p.m. Um, it's The first class is uh, engaging our emotions so through anxiety and fear. So this this class, the purpose of this class is it's going to be to work through um, how do we handle our emotions through a struggle like this. This class is not just for those who feel like they are struggling with something, but it's also for those who want to know how to better love and care for one another. This season has um, evoked and probably prompted emotions that you may have felt for a long time or are just now feeling, but the Bible has a lot to say about those. And so we invite you, uh, myself, my name's Kyle, and Pastor Jess here are going to work through biblically what does this mean and how does the gospel, how does the Bible uh, help us inform us how to engage our emotions during a time like this. Again, that's every Thursday for the next four weeks, starting April 23rd at 8.15 p.m. You can access 
uh, and RSVP on Realm. My, again, I'm going to work through another class. It's a personal testimony workshop. So many of us want to know how to articulate what has happened to us if we are Christians. And yet we need training and biblical instruction on how, on how to convey what happened to us. How, uh, what does the gospel mean? What happened when I trusted in Jesus? I'm going to be working through a testimony workshop. It's next Sunday at 8 p.m. That's Sunday, April 26th at 8 p.m. And how to work through how to share your personal testimony in a way that not only glorifies God, but explains on what, what happened in the gospel regarding your life and your transformation in Christ. And then lastly, you are still able to give online to Redeemer while we're unable to gather together in person. You can do this by visiting our website, uh, RedeemerBloomington.org, and click Give to Redeemer on the giving page. So again, you, can, you are still able to give online. Just go to www.RedeemerBloomington.org and click Give to Redeemer, and you'll be able to enter credit card or by check or however however you would like to continue or to give for a first time. Well, we're in Exodus 25 through 31 today. We're not reading the entire six chapters, but we will just focus. uh, We will simply just read uh, verses chapter 28, 31 through 43. But um, what we're seeing in Exodus is the great problem that humanity stands in their sin compared to God who is in holiness. So there's a chasm between humanity and God. And yet God seeks to redeem his people. God seeks to dwell with his people. And God seeks to be in the midst and to forgive his people. How does this happen? Um, Most of the story arc of Exodus is actually God's redemption of his people, the Israelites, bringing them not only out of Egypt, out of slavery, but that they would know that he is God and he's 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 their God. And so... The whole story arc of Exodus is working towards this. Um, We're going to be looking at Exodus 25 through 31, although we're only going to be reading just a couple of verses of that section. But what we're going to see is that God, what we lack, God is always providing for us. That what we lack in and of our sin, compared to a holy God, God already sees us and provides for us. In the tabernacle, in the priesthood of Aaron, and of all believers, and in the Sabbath the rest that we all long for and that we all need. So we're going to be looking at the presence that God offers, the person that we need, and the rest that he provides. I invite you to grab your Bible if you're at home or to turn to your Bible app on your phone and for you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Exodus 28, verses 31 through 43. Again, that's Exodus 28, 31 through 43. I'll read this out loud and then we'll pray. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening, like the opening in a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem and the bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe, and it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord, and it shall fasten, and you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. 
shall be on the front of the turban, shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they shall serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. You shall reach from, they shall reach from hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister to the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we, we come to your word and there is a lot of detail in, this, in these six chapters. God, it's very easy, I confess, to look over these chapters and to say, um, we don't know what you're communicating to us and to skip to something that would be more intriguing. But yet your word, all of it in its entirety, is both living and active, Hebrews says, and that you have so much for us to learn about you and your character and your attributes in this passage. God, we do confess that we are prone to anxiety and we are prone to looking for other things in a time like this to entertain us, to even to minister to us. But God, you are good. And God, even from the time of Moses, you have created your tabernacle in order that you would dwell with your people. God, we need your presence. We need your person in Jesus. And we desperately want and long for that rest. And God, in these passages, you show that you provide it for us. Lord, help us to be ministered today by your word. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me? And God, we hope that we would enjoy and be ministered to by your word in a season of unknown confusion and anxiety. God, we love you. Help us to love you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've divided my sermon into really three parts. We're going to be looking briefly at the tabernacle from Exodus 25 to 27. We're going to look at more predominantly the priesthood of Aaron um, in Exodus 28 through 30. And then we're going to briefly cover the Sabbath. So we're looking at the presence God offers and that we need, the person that God offers and we need, and the rest that God offers and we need. Number one, we're looking at the presence we need. We're, verses 25 through 27 are talking about the tabernacle and the great construction of God's dwelling place with man. The tabernacle or the tent was this incredible place where God dwelled with his people. That God br brings them out of Egypt, out of the slavery and bondage of the Egyptians. And he makes a covenant with Moses in Exodus 24. And Moses is on a mountain. And these are, in, these are the instructions that God is giving Moses while he is on this mountain. And God's desire is for us to have his presence. God's desire is not that he desires our presence necessarily, but that he knows that we long for his presence. The point of the tabernacle is to, is to make God's presence among the people possible through atonement. 
God gives great instructions on what his house and what his dwelling place will look like. He refers to acacia wood. He refers to olive oil in the lampstand that will burn throughout the night. He gives these great instructions that are to be obeyed perfectly. Why? If you were to come to my house and step into my house, you would notice a couple of things right in the beginning. You would probably walk in and you would see pictures of our children You would see probably pictures of my wife, Jordan, and I. You would see our dog, Penny, running around, uh, not obeying our orders and our commands. You would go into our kitchen. You would see dishes done and wonder, do I have a uh, dishwasher? And that would be my fault because dishes are my chore. Um, You would start to get a picture of, of who we are and what we value. And the reason why is because probably in all of our homes, If you walk in, you're getting a resemblance, not perfectly, but you are starting to see who we are, what we value, what we take, what we take as, as, as uh, highest value. You would even go up into our room and you would see books and you would see pictures and you would, you would see all types of things and probably no less is true for your home. Same is, is a reality for God that when God dwells with his people, he gives specific instructions that are to obeyed. And unlike you and I, they're to be obeyed perfectly because God is holy. God is holy. And one thing that we see right at the beginning of the tabernacle is we see that in order to be in the presence of God by a great high priest, which was Aaron, something must be sacrificed. Whether it be a dove, a pigeon, a goat, a ram, a bull, it must be sacrificed. In, order to, in other words, the key to the presence of God is an atoning sacrifice, specifically blood. Hebrews 9.22 says this, There is no atonement without bloodshed. The construction of the tabernacle was to convey that God is holy and that we are sinful. And though we long for God's presence, that even the great high priest, who is the representative for Israel, a, a atoning sacrifice must be made. A holy God cannot be in the presence and will not tolerate sin. In other words, there is strict protocol, and we're going to get into that, of what the high priest must do in order to atone for the sins of the people. Even the construction of the tabernacle is designed that, in, in other words, the more closer that you get to the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark was this, this great... Um, bit of wood that was built and cherubim were placed, gold cherubim. And you can read about it in Exodus 25 that there are clear instructions. But this was the word, the presence of the Lord dwelled. And there is incredible construction in detail on how to make this. But even to go beyond the curtain, where there would be a curtain that would wall off the ark. And, and after that would be a, a bronze washing uh, Basin, and there would be a lampstand where you would burn incense and that would burn all throughout the night. There's this incredible detail that time does not afford us to go into. But even to go beyond the curtain, bloodshed had to happen. What's very interesting is that the more precious, or excuse me, the deeper that you go into the tabernacle, in other words, closer to the ark, the more precious and valuable the materials get. In other words, linen was on the outside. And then the closer you move, there's undyed goat's hair. And then the finest wool of the day. What God is showing you is that the closer that you get, the closer that this high priest would go to on the day of atonement, which was one day a year, the more majesty, awe, and fear he would experience. 
Can you imagine being Aaron, the high priest of Israel, who would come and be the representative? And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. What he would feel in terms of going beyond that curtain one day a year into the presence of a holy God. Majesty, probably fear, an incredible amount of, of experiencing our finitude. Because God is infinite. And being in the presence of an infinite God shows us who we really are in our sinfulness. And it's difficult to really get a true sense of what this would have been like. One day a year to sacrifice either a, a bull or a goat or whatever it may be to atone for the sins of the people. Think on what you must have felt and seen if you read throughout the instructions of the high priest. An absolute sense of humility an absolute sense of awe and wonder and that I'm in the presence of a holy God in which I do not deserve to be in the presence, but I can only go in this presence based on an atoning sacrifice. In other words, bloodshed. John Owen was an old Puritan and he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. And this is hard for us to humble ourselves to that degree to, to, to see the majesty of God in a day like today. But yet, John Owen says, in order to do that, simply think on the majesty of God for one minute. And that is the greatest remedy to humble us. He says, he says this in his book, Mortification of Sin. He says, we speak much of God. We can talk of him, his ways, his works, his counsels, all the day long. The truth is, we know very little of him. Our thoughts, our meditations, our expressions of him are low many of them unworthy of his glory, none of them reaching his perfections. He is so vast, so majestic, so powerful. I can only imagine what Aaron the high priest would have felt as he goes in to atone for the sins of his people. The absolute unflinching demand of God is holiness. For only a holy God can dwell in a holy tabernacle. And he only requires and allows a holy representative to be into his presence. This is what we see in the priesthood of Aaron. I mean, this was such a dangerous job that they wore bells. And many commentators say that these bells would signify if this priest died or not. In other words, if you heard the bells jingle, he was still alive. But if you heard silence, he, he was struck dead by the Lord. When we get to the tabernacle, we, we're often put into this kind of false dichotomy where we realize we are in, uh, emphasizing or influenced by one of two attributes of God more so than the other. For some of us, we are influenced or we highlight more of the attribute of God, which is his holiness. That God is holy. He is, uh, he is holy in that he administers justice throughout the, world, throughout the world, that he does not let the wicked go unpunished, um, that he says, vengeance is mine, that God is perfectly holy, and you would be right to, to emphasize this, because look at the protocol that God gives Aaron. You cannot even begin to come into the tabernacle without a sacrifice, without bloodshed. God takes justice and his holiness very seriously. The other side of the spectrum would, we, would be we focus most on God's love and mercy. That God loves you. He loves and is friends of sinners. 
The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. We look at verses like Lamentations 3, 23, which just says, His mercies are new every morning. His love does not cease. Or 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And you too would be right. God takes holiness very seriously. You cannot enter into his presence without sin being atoned for, mainly in blood. But God takes mercy so seriously. Because if we look at Exodus 25, the first thing he instructs Moses to build is the ark of the covenant. In other words, what is at the top of the ark, excuse me, is the mercy seat, is the atonement, is where we atone for sin. In other words, the very first thing that God has in mind when he, in order to, to, to dwell in, in the presence of his people, is he provides the way that that is possible in his mercy. These two attributes, God's holiness and God's mercy, intersect and are seen in the tabernacle. In other words, what we need most is both the justice of God and the mercy of God. And that is established in the tabernacle. It's also seen in the cross. It's also pointing to the cross. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Paul says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What the cross accomplishes is the holiness of God being executed while the mercy of God is executed as well. That on the cross, Jesus Christ takes our sin on the cross. He atones for sin by his blood and gives us a record of righteousness. And then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. That no longer does the Spirit of God dwell in the tabernacle, but the Spirit of God dwells in us. How amazing is that? That the Spirit himself dwells within you and I. And that Jesus actually says that it is better that I leave that I give you the Spirit. This is a beautiful reality. One that, that the tabernacle foreshadowed and points to. The cross and that we have the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22 says this, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed, anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Believer, if you are in Christ, you have the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in you. This is a beautiful reality. The next we see in Exodus 28 through 30 is the person we need. We see the presence we need, that God longs to have presence and to have fellowship with his people, and he provides that in the tabernacle. But the next we see that he gives us a person. In other words, this is the person who will make that possible. This is the the person of the priest, the high priest. A holy God can only accept a holy sacrifice from a holy representative. If you look at Exodus 28 through 30, we have this incredible elaborate clothing that he he would wear. Um, He would wear an ephod that was made of blue and he would wear a breast piece of judgment on his heart. He would go into the holy place and on this breast piece he would have different um, stones, very precious stones engraved on this breast piece. It's an incredible picture of what this person would have looked like in the high priest. He would have a turban put on his head and there would be a gold plate that was on this turban that would say, holy unto the Lord. 
God demanded that his holy representative look a certain way. In other words, the calling was representative of the inward calling. Excuse me, the the attire was representative of the inward calling. What he looked like outward was supposed to be what he had inward. Priests were often selected and consecrated from the people. So these weren't, Aaron was not someone who simply just said, I want to be a priest. I will start my ministry. No, they were selected from the people. And then they were consecrated, as you see in Exodus 29, that these people were uh, ordained. And this this was a week-long process. It was very serious. We see that God's representative must look and be a certain way, not just outward, but inwardly as well. His clothing, again, illustrated his unique role for his people. As it went with the high priest, here's something that's very interesting. So it went with the people. In other words, the Israelites longed to be forgiven for their sin. But how will they be forgiven for their sin? It all rested on the high priest. That for the high priest to go into the ark and to sacrifice, they would be forgiven to the degree that God accepted this sacrifice by the high priest. It's a very dangerous job. No one just assumed this role. They must be anointed as we see in Exodus 29. His clothing was to be an illustration of what was going on with his role and with his heart. Yet, we know that this high priest, Aaron, was not perfect. He, in fact, was too also sinful. In fact, God calls him to sacrifice, make a sacrifice for sin, not just for the sin of his people, but for also himself. And even though his garments were extraordinary, I mean, this man looked, as one commentator says, looked like he was from a different world. Even though this man was extraordinary on the outside, beautifully dressed, he was still a man underneath the garments. The question that I have for us is, do we dress ourselves up? For God. It's easy to look at some of this and say, how is this, how is this in, in any way applicable or relevant to my life? The question that, I'm, that I was posed for my own self is, do I dress myself up for God? Am I performing for God in order to earn a sense of righteousness, in order to be pleasing to God? So easy for us as people to rely on and even believe that who we are is who we really are on the outside. Because I go to church, because I'm in Bible studies, because I'm in a CG, because I don't do this and and I do that, because I'm a good, faithful, faithful spouse, that this is why I am acceptable before God, because I am dressed rightly on the outside, to use the metaphor. And even if you too were dressed with great garments like a priest, like Aaron, given by himself, there would still be a soul underneath that left to itself is not right with God. The question that I was asking myself is, what are you and I like underneath? What if you took off the performance outward and and your heart was exposed before a holy God? Would you have much confidence to draw near? I know for myself, I, I would not. If we were to expose our own lives and our own hearts Would we see things like bitterness with someone? Discontentment with what God has given us now. Feeling like God has not given you what you deserve. Would it be patterns of lust that no one knows about and has never been confessed? Would there be secret sins that we see that are sapping away your affections for Jesus? 
It's so true that humanity, we are obsessed with what we look like and what humanity looks like on the outward. Yet God is obsessed with what is inward. We see this in 1 Samuel 16, 7, where he calls David. He says, don't despise him for his height. Don't reject him, although everyone else has rejected him. Man looks on the outward appearance, but I look at what? The heart. There's a quote by William Temple that says, religion is what a man does with his solitude. In other words, who we really are, what the Lord sees is what we often do in our solitude. We love to dress ourselves up for God. We love to dress ourselves up for, the, for other people. But God sees what is done in our own silent life, in our solitude. What I'm getting at is that I am not the person I would like to be. On the, I am not truly who I am on the outward. We're not as good as we'd like to think we are. I didn't grow up in church. I would say when I became a Christian, which was in college, I was biblically illiterate. I, I had no familiarity with the Bible. But I became a Christian through my stepmother in, uh, through nine years of painfully and exhaustingly sharing Christ with me. And I rejected it for nine years. But in college, I saw my need for Jesus. I saw my need for the gospel. And I became a Christian. But one thing that was very easy to convince me of was the doctrine of sin. That sin is, of course, yes, it's on the outside in the world. But sin is even more acutely in my own heart. That I am sinful from birth. That I, am, I uh, long for things and want things that do not honor God. And that my actions and my thought life do not glorify God. It was, not, it was very easy to convince me of that. Because I was a person that was never dressed probably right on the outside. I made a lot of mistakes and a lot of regrets. Dressing up for God was not necessarily something that I struggled with before I was a Christian. I kind of just did whatever I wanted to do and, and faced the consequences. It's very easy for me to see my need for Jesus. But my wife, Jordan, was very different. My wife grew up in church. My wife attended many Bible studies and youth groups and Christian conferences and assumed that she was a Christian. Assumed that by her actions that of course she had merited God's favor. She was dressed rightly before God. But God brought a girl in college named Denise to come into her life, started a Bible study with Jordan and Jordan came. And Jordan was interested in, and liked Christian things and Christian music and Christian things like conferences and Bible studies. And so this was just another one of those things Yet Denise asked her a question one time that floored her. She simply asked Jordan, how do you get to heaven? And my wife says she stumbled through this answer saying, Jesus plus going to church and being a good person and not doing this and doing this. And Denise simply said, it's actually only through Jesus that we can be right with a holy God. Jordan immediately took offense of this and, and said, well, of course. And and said, later on would say, why did she ask me if I knew how to get to heaven? Doesn't she know that I'm a Christian? Of course I'm a Christian. And I don't want to go over the long story, but Jordan would say she kind of stiff-armed Denise for a little while. And then about a couple months later, she, she uh, meets up with Denise again. And she says that Denise had an incredible amount of, of joy and gentleness and and. and and loved her, did not stiff arm her back or, or anything, but showed her grace. 
Jordan was absolutely floored by this. And they started again their Bible study. And Jordan, to make a long story short, became a Christian through reading God's word saying, I have relied on all of my dressing up for God. I have relied on my Bible study and my Christian things and my conferences and and my morality. But it's simply Jesus alone that can atone for my sin. It's simply Jesus alone that has bought what I could never buy on my own. And she says, I became a Christian to Denise. And Denise says, well, what makes, what makes you say that? And she says, the gospel is finally good news to me. The gospel is finally good news to me. It had never been good news. Jesus plus things is the way that Jordan had approached God. But good, the good news is that Jesus, our true and better high priest, came in and atoned for her sin and accomplished what she could never have accomplished and that changed her life. In other words, it wasn't Jesus plus something, but it was only Jesus, our true and better high priest. Jordan says that her testimony shows that Jesus is good news for Pharisees like her, that in Christ we can rest from dressing up for God. In Christ, we're already dressed to the nines. Just as the robe that Aaron wore, which conveyed outwardly what was true inwardly, holiness, set-apartness, we too have been covered in the robe of Jesus' righteousness. In other words, what we lack, God always provides. This all-sufficient payment by the true high priest, who didn't just come in and sacrifice on behalf of his people and himself, but was himself the sacrifice of all sacrifices, has atoned for our sin, the final and sufficient payment gives us the confidence, Hebrews says, to draw near to the throne. Listen to that Old Testament imagery. To go beyond the curtain, to have access and relationship with God. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to, to help in time of need. The author of Hebrews su- suggests that we, have, we can have a confidence to draw near to God in Christ. My question to us in Christ is, are we doing that? Are we longing to meet with Jesus in his word and in prayer? Do we have confidence to draw draw near to that? Or are we very insecure in our relationship with God in Christ? The Bible says that the love that Jesus had with the Father in John 17 is now the love that he has for you. That gives us a great confidence to love Jesus and to obey him and to be honest with him and with our fellow man, that we do not need to dress up for God, but that God dresses us in Christ. This gives us the rest we need, which lastly, in Exodus 31, God commands a Sabbath. So we see we have the presence that we need in the tabernacle. We have the person that we need in the high priest that points to the true and better high priest in Christ, who atones for the sins of his people, not by offering a sacrifice, but is himself the sacrifice. 
And then later God commands a rest in the Sabbath. The Sabbath, very briefly, is a, is a display of faith. And not simply just to rest, but it's a statement of faith to say that I'm giving up a day of work because I know that my God will provide. Just as he provided in the tabernacle, just as he provided in the priesthood of Aaron and the priesthood of Christ, he provides rest in the Sabbath. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10 says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. God does not need to rest from his work because there is insufficiency in him, as if he is exhausted. God rests to model for us to take faith in God's provision. God rests because he wants to show us that we are sinful and that we are broken and that we must follow in step with him and rest ourselves. Inevitably, the rest that we want is in the person of Jesus. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. What does that mean? Is that we long to find the rest of a person that loves us unconditionally and yet sees all of us and pays for that sin. And that is found, that is found in the person and work of Christ. Beloved, the bent of God's heart towards you is one of utter love, so much so that Jesus died to glorify God and to bring you into the fold. He earned the rest you desperately want and need. If we do not have confidence in God, but are insecure, afraid, feeling as if God's love for us is always so conditional, then our obedience to obey God will be one out of fear rather than love and joy. But if you know that God loves you and that has sent his son to be the high priest that would atone for your sin by himself, this gives us a radical confidence, like Hebrews says, to know him and to love him. It also frees us from the ability to perform, to dress up for God, to confess our sins to God as a father whose love does not wane or wax. You don't need to pretend or to perform. You can stop dressing up to appease God it's finished. These were Jesus' last words. Our high priest lives to pray and to plead for you. You as a believer wear the righteousness of God accomplished by Jesus, received in grace by faith to the glory of God. You are near to the very heart of God. Just as the high priest had gems engraved on the breastpiece of judgment, your name in your life is engraved on the very heart of God. Let me close with this. In John 17, which is a cross-reference, his last saying in the high priestly prayer, which is the priestly prayer that he would pray before he would go to the cross in Gethsemane, he says this, I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. In other words, the love the deep love the father had for his son is now given to you as a gift by faith in Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you can come to him as you are, but God will not leave you as you are. He will change you by the work of the cross, which the tabernacle pointed to. Let this deep love of Jesus, our true tabernacle, our true priest, our true rest, be the weightiest reality in your life like an anchor to a ship. Hebrews 6, 19 says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, 
has entered in our behalf. Before we pray, we long to participate in the Lord's Supper together. And although we are not able to do that, we encourage you to do that on your own. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our forerunner. God, that you have gone in our place and on our behalf and gone beyond the curtain and atoned for our sin and given us the rest we need, which the Sabbath points to. Lord, let us be a people who in confidence draw near. Just as you were holy unto the Lord, perfectly holy, you have given us that righteousness and are growing us in holiness as we walk with you. Lord, let us love you. Let us, let us long to draw near during a pandemic to you in your word and in prayer. God, let us have affections for you that are not trumped by anything else in this world. Help us dearly, Holy Spirit. We know that you live inside of us and we thank you for that. We ask all this in our true and better high priest's name, Jesus, amen.